Welcome to Changing Reels, a podcast that aims to change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time. My name is Courtney Small of Cinema Access and the radio show Frameline. My regular co-host Kristen Lopez is not with us today, but we have a special guest. Carolyn Morissette is with us today. Many of you regular listeners will remember her from either our Train to Busan episode or our Thirst episode. Carolyn's a wealth of cinematic knowledge with a special love for horror. You could find her work in Rubor magazine. She's been published on Graveyard Shift Sisters, uh, The Women in Horror Annual, and she has her own fantastic site, View from the Dark. Those are just to name a few of the many things that she does. And when she's not writing, she's also a programmer at the Blood in the Snow Film Festival. Carolyn, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Just getting over a bit of a cold, but um, yeah, I'm hanging in there. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you know, hopefully warmer days will, will be coming soon because I'm frankly tired of colds infecting my house like every other week i bet eh? <laughs> and all the dirty snow like come on it needs to melt now <laughs> it really it really does the, the whole city kind of looks kind of drab even though it's supposed to be spring yeah. Now, I'm going to do a quick bit of housekeeping before we start. First, I wanted to give a big shout out to Scott Knopp, aka Rhyme Time, for allowing us to use his music as our new opening theme. Rhyme Time is a huge cinephile and a talented rapper, so be sure to check out his album Gnarly, which you can get on iTunes and Spotify. And also, his back catalog is available on Bandcamp. Second bit of housekeeping is that this is going to be a very laid back episode. We're going to forgo our usual short film discussion, and we're just going to dive into a spoiler filled chat about about Jordan Peele's Us. So if you haven't seen the film, go out and see it, and then come back and listen. If you have seen it, you should be good. Us is a story that follows Adelaide and her family as they go on a relaxing vacation to Santa Cruz. Unfortunately, their time in the sun is cut short when things turn into a bit of a nightmare as their doppelgangers show up one evening and starts to terrorize them. Now, Carolyn, we both saw this at the the same advanced screening, but we didn't talk about it afterwards because we wanted just kind of keep our ideas fresh and i know you were still processing a lot of it as well and i know recently you were on the matinee podcast discussing the film with friend of the show ryan mcneil but again i haven't listened to that episode yet so i apologize if some of our discussion kind of overlaps and stuff that you might have already said oh no worries yeah excellent so do you want to start off with your thoughts on the film you know after we saw it like i was actually i don't think i could have talked about it either because i it was it was so overwhelming there was so much to it it actually gave me the creeps when I you know when I was going home it just kind of freaked me out a little bit I kept thinking about it and I kept thinking about it and for me it was a lot of a lot to do with class that's the thing that really came out for me is like a downtrodden class coming up and uprising you know and trying to overcome what is seen as the American dream and it's because it's not available to the tethered and they want their peace right so that's what came up for me and it's interesting that you say that because that wasn't the first thing that I thought of when I saw the film but I've been thinking about it a lot recently especially after reading the great piece that Joelle Monique wrote in the Hollywood Reporter called There Are No True Monsters in Us and the whole piece was essentially what you were just saying there like she broke it down in regards to the haves and the have-nots and how that is an embodiment of the American dream and also ties into issues of race. And I've been thinking about that a lot, having read that. When I first saw the film, I found it creepy as well, quite enjoyed it, but I was thinking more about the thin line between good and evil that resides in us and how we can easily step over the line and embrace our our, our darkness. And I think that has something more to do with just my general view of society. If people could embrace their, their deepest impulses, what would it be like? And that was my initial thought when I first saw the film. But thinking back the last few days, a lot of the layers have started to 
to bleed through. So many layers. Yes, it's very much. You mentioned that it's creepy. So you want to talk about like the aspects of it that kind of freaked you out because you're what I would consider a horror aficionado. So t- for for you to say that it's creepy is is really a testament to the film. Yeah, and it's so funny. I was telling Ryan, I I, I can't really put my finger on it, but when I was going home, I was just walking past a couple and they were just moving very oddly, and that just it just gave me the chills. And you know, now that I think about it, I think it's because there's a surface person and then there's something underneath and you'll never know what's underneath you know just to use an for an example um serial killers like they they could be like the nicest people or attractive young men and then they turned out to be the worst people possible and i think that's what the movie brought out in me like that fear of just the regular person and and as you were talking about evil they could do something evil but you don't know you have no idea and i think maybe that's what really kind of gave me the creeps because that's a real horror you know (laughs) yeah and i think that plays into the ending when i I, will definitely have to dive into the ending because i think it's probably the most controversial just based on people's reactions to it but the notion that the the person that you're rooting for may not necessarily be the person you should be rooting for. And I like how you use the, the serial killer analogy, because when a serial killer is attractive, or I would even say average looking, the, the reception, especially in the, the public, is completely different if the person is, quote unquote, looks deranged. Yeah. We know that up here with the Bruce MacArthur trial. And, and for those listening who don't live in, in the Toronto area, Bruce MacArthur was a, a, a serial killer who took advantage of the gay community. And I think he had killed eight or nine men yeah i think it was eight. yeah yeah and he was and it was one of those cases where at one point he was brought in as a possible suspect but then something happened and he was let go and he went on and killed a few more people before the evidence finally caught up to him but when you looked at the coverage of him in the media it was always photos of him by niagara falls kind of nicely grinning like you know he he looked like just the your average neighbor nothing too threatening and I found that always interesting. They never, they rarely put up like a mugshot. Even like, you know, the whole uh, university college scandal. And there's a woman that got put into jail, a black woman that got put into jail because she used a false address. She used her father's address to get her kid into school or something like that. And they show a mugshot of her. Couldn't they have posted a picture of her with her children? Or, you know, it's it's true. There's this bias that if you look like a nice, uh, uh, you know, like a grandfather grandfatherly figure like Bruce MacArthur. They're going to show, you know, post respectable pictures of him. It's it's it is quite frustrating. Yeah. And then we see it in this film, too, with the the friendship between Adelaide, played by Lupita Nyong'o and Kitty, who's played by Elizabeth Moss. And their family clearly has more money than mm-hmm. Adelaide's. But Kitty has to boast about getting a bit of nip and tuck done on her face. Just just a, a little, not not too much. But you can see that there's a bit of jealousy that Adelaide was a dancer and has seemingly kept her her youthful full looks. And even when Kitty's doppelganger shows up, there's still that reference again to beauty and even the doppelganger not being satisfied with the look. And it's it's really interesting how those layers of, I guess, jealousy and image come into play in this film. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because Adelaide, she, she seemed very natural. You know, she was wearing like a natural fiber. It looked like a, her jumpsuit and, and it was a very natural color. And the home actually seemed really earthy. Their summer home, whereas it Kitty's home 
is it was all glass and very modern and, and very expensive looking. So there is definitely the difference there. Yeah, and you, it's funny because even with all the advantages financially that Kitty and her husband Josh have, I found their relationship to be quite interesting because they really couldn't seem to stand each other. Even their daughters just are there, but you, you don't get the sense of family love or loyalty like you do with Adelaide's family. And when Adelaide and the rest of the Wilson clan have to fight for their lives, you see them band together as a family. Whereas yeah. Kitty and Josh, they quickly become victims of their doppelgangers because they don't have that connection in the first place so when crazy things are happening you know they're still making jokes and kind of being snarky to each other instead of actually working together yeah and act showing concern <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely one of the things that creeped me out the most and you made reference to it so i, I want to dive a little bit more into it is the notion of movement but i think for me it was when we see adelaide's doppelganger red and i would say that whole sequence where the doppelgangers are out on the front driveway and Adelaide's husband Gabe played wonderfully by Winston Duke comes out with trying to talk tough and then he comes back with the baseball bat and they're just standing there and then in a split second you see the children kind of scatter really fast and I think that was the first time that I could recall in our theater hearing audible people gasp and jump because yeah. <laughs> it's so unexpected and then even as craziness is ensuing it was the fast movements of the doppelgangers that was really freaking people out and myself as well and watching red when she's talking to adelaide who's chained to the table and you can just see the slow body movements and that that weird voice that's almost like gasping for air like just the presence of of her. Like she didn't have to do that much. She was just literally sitting in a chair. But the way how she, you know, moved the body, gave certain looks, it, it sent a, a weird chill down my spine that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's so funny, you were just describing it. And it made me think, do you remember um, Tandy Newton in Beloved? Do you remember her yes. performance? Yeah, it kind of reminded me, Just you, it just flashed into my head right now. But I'm like, yeah, because she was otherworldly, you know, and, and so is Red. Like, just that whole stilted, strange like they're trying to you know when uh, for instance someone's trying to come off as being sober but they're not <laughs> yes yes yeah that's kind of it not that i would know anything about that no 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 <laughs> from what we hear from but, what we've heard exactly but yeah it's just that they're trying to come across as as normal or trying to fit in in a way even though you know red really isn't she's just trying to take over but yeah that that sense that she's trying to fit in and, and try, trying to mimic almost um adelaide well and they i guess they are still tethered aren't they yeah still tethered which i think makes the film both chilling but then at the same time i think it kind of exposes some minor flaws in the the logic i think because i found it interesting that because they're tethered they have a lot of the same mannerisms and they know where essentially the other is going to be because you've got that link and even though they want to break free they still tend to embody a lot of what they claim they didn't want and i and i'm going to use kitty and josh as an example because when kitty is killed and josh is killed and the whole family in essence they are no longer tethered 
No. They're broken free. But yet when you see Josh fighting Gabe in the boat and essentially gets killed by Gabe, you have that moment where Kitty, the doppelganger of Kitty, um, known as Delilah, is is crying. And then that cry quickly turns into a laughter because the real Kitty would not have cared if Josh died. And now Delilah doesn't care that the doppelganger text is dead. Right. And yeah. there's when the moment in the in the Another boat scene with Gabe, because there's a lot of boat scenes with Gabe in this film. Um, when the boat stops and you see his doppelganger, Abraham, trying to start the boat the exact same way that Gabe would. And I mean, at that point, they're, they're still tethered, but there's a lot of the mannerisms and traits they still take, whether they're tethered or not. And I, I don't know if that's kind of like the inherent aspects of our lives that, you know, you can't shake. But I found that kind of interesting. At times it was it was super creepy, like with the, yeah. the young kids in the closet. And then other times it was like, oh, that's kind of interesting, but also made me question about some of the logic in terms of how does, I guess, the underworld work. Yeah, yeah, true. And there was a lot to kind of left to the imagination in that respect for the because i actually was i'm thinking i i wouldn't have minded seeing a little bit more of the underworld it just it was really fascinating to me the whole that whole subterranean uh, society it was really creepy to see like the whole that carnival scene and seeing all the the um tethered just mimicking in like this broken way what was going on on the upside it was just oh that was really chilling yeah really. i loved i loved that moment um i actually liked a lot of i mean we can dive into it right now like i loved a lot of the latter half of the film the the part yeah. that seems to really be throwing people for a loop and although i found some of the explanations to how they came to being a bit clunky because you've got the whole image of the the rabbits and rabbits multiplying and you feel like the whole scientific aspect of it but i got the sense that they were in some type of underground facility because they make reference to them to scientists being able to clone the body but not quite the soul yeah so it was like okay they were bred from scientists but then what happened to the scientists did the scientists clone them so like i, I couldn't quite figure out that logic but when adelaide is going down into the world to find her son and she keeps going through the the various layers and my mind kept going well how does she know where to go but then obviously once the revelation happens you're like ah it makes perfect sense and right. it also kind of confirmed an inkling that i had at the beginning when i was like something's not right with adelaide yeah okay was it at the therapist's office it was either at the therapist's office or just before yeah. I, it might have been actually when I'm trying to remember the sequence, but I think it was a part when she was thinking back to her time as a dancer. Right. Because the therapist's office was was part of it, but it was more when I was looking at, like, Roan Adelaide. There were right. certain aspects in her mannerism when she was thinking back to that part when she was dancing, and there was parts when she was in the car when they were driving down and singing to the music and stuff, and she had an uneasiness to her. I kept thinking, like, that. I don't feel like that is the right one. I feel like yeah. there's a switch. But then as the film went on and Lapita's performance is so sensational that she basically had me thinking, no, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're reading way <laughs> yeah. too much into it. You, you need to be focusing on Adelaide trying to get rid of this real creepy red. That's what you need to focus on. And then at the end, she's like, actually, no, you were right. But 
you didn't stay to your convictions and it's it's a wonderful twist and turn so as she's going down those escalators and then you Mm -hmm. see the i guess red side of things and how that escalator is like descending down to hell for one person but then ascending up to heaven for another like there's just so much in that latter sequence it is quite chilling and it's it's funny because it makes me think of something like if you live say in a, a trailer park and and you put all your money into this nice car you know and it's kind of that's what it, it kind of conjured up for me is like people who may not be able to afford something nice but they decide to get something nice because they have every right to right but they may not be able to sustain that those tethered um people underneath and they're like oh but i you know we want to show each other affection but we may not be able to do it properly you know it's just kind of a parody of people trying to live their lives you know it, it's just i don't know just so many things it's unwrapping and unraveling for me as well yeah and, and ally does a really good job of setting up the underworld because she goes like step by step you know, when you met the love of your your life, Gabe, all of a sudden Abraham appears and I'm kind of stuck with this big oaf of a guy. And you had your daughter and I had this really horrible experience. Then you had another child burned in the fire. And it's just every aspect you think, wow, like there's you didn't get one moment of of joy at all. So obviously you could see why those who are, I guess, the, the have-nots would want to to rise up. But the the idea of it took someone not of their world to come in or kind of be forced into their world and then lead the rebellion out of it mm-hmm. is, is interesting because essentially the villain is the hero and the hero is the villain, but then is the hero really the hero because being trapped down there for so long has kind of turned her into a villain <laughs> like it's really an intricate web that that peel spins that is is quite fascinating well yeah i revolved between who i rooted for and it's funny because when adelaide as a little girl was in the therapist office and the mother says i just want my daughter back that was it for me when i'm like is that the real adelaide or is that the double and i thought mm-hmm. I'm reading too much into it, the same as you, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Then when, you know, they reveal at the end and I'm like, oh my God. Because then I started to feel more sympathy for Red because she was the, she was the real girl, so to speak. And her position was taken. But then I started thinking about the whole like American dream and you have to go for your dreams and you know how that that's hammered into kids (laughs) you have to go for it go for your dreams some people do it that are a bit more ruthless which is you know Adelaide doppelganger she's like okay I'm gonna go for it I don't want to be down here so you know you can't blame her and you can't blame Adelaide and the upside world for fighting for her position, even though she took it. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's funny because in a weird way, I'm assuming it wasn't his intention, but I was I was thinking a lot of how populism has kind of taken over the world and in many ways kind of ruined the world. And what I mean by that is populism has caused a lot of people to rise up in political power. Mm-hmm. as the quote-unquote saviors the people that are going to save the downtrodden and their views on how to save the downtrodden aren't actually or aren't necessarily in the downtrodden's benefit and often make situations far worse and i'm, I'm thinking of like what's going on with brexit yeah 
Right. right. It's a perfect example of populism where they said, only I can save you. Follow me to the promised land. So people followed and then they went, um, actually, nah, we good. I'm, <laughs> I'm taking off. Right. And, and in many ways, it's red is leading this rebellion, uh, of, of doppelgangers of, of shadows to take over and take back what was theirs. But she's not actually one of them. <laughs> she came from the better place. Yeah. Her, her goal is specifically to get back to that better place and take out red because as you see when the the other shadows from adelaide's family start to die there's that weird section where adelaide feels somewhat sadness in watching them die like she can't bring herself to kill them herself yeah you know and at one point tries to stop pluto the sun shadow from walking into the flames and then Zora's shadow Umbre gets into that really bad car accident and is mangled and you could kind of see that inner turmoil with her because she in many ways she's like these are technically my real people my real children yeah that are dying but at the end of the film she's telling her son Jason hey don't worry as long as you stay with me you're good mm-hmm. right right and she's she's taken off while the rest of the shadows are all holding hands from here to I guess all across the globe but she's she's not holding hands with them she's like i'm good i got my life yeah you guys figured out yourselves and it's like well are these guys yeah they now are above ground but are they better for it well that's because they've destroyed the world and do they know how to interact in the upside world like that's that's what left me wondering like okay and now what and like that whole image of the the hands like it's like they created that wall that trump wanted you know (laughs) here's Mm -hmm. your wall (laughs) but that brought up imagery as well for me i wanted to know where are they going where can they go from there that's what i wanted to know like take over for red and reveal herself to be an actual tethered or that's a interesting question because as we see in this in the film the shadows don't realize that adelaide is actually one of them right she is now of that place of privilege so they can't see the signs that she actually born just like they were so now that this family is at the on the end of the film traveling to quote-unquote a better place or you could look at it as they're still on the run because if the majority of the world is being taken over by these things there's not much places that they can go where they're not going to be deemed as the other right right so they're they will still be hunted to a certain extent i just think i guess it's your your own shadow is the one that is out to get you the most right yeah well and it's funny because that whole hands across america debacle where they did it and then they ended up spending more than they raised and i feel like he's appeal is talking about that specific event as well because it's like okay we did it now what so I guess they're kind of the the untethered in that long line of of bodies. They're kind of saying, now what? Because we're the impoverished. We've come up. We're the uh, the um, the people that need it the most. And now what? You know, it's kind of like these. What is it? The best laid intentions paved the road to hell. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So you know. Like what now, Red? Like you've told people to come up, so they've come up, and now she's gone. So what do you do now? There's no real leader. In her idea, she's pretty much well. My job, my job is done. Mm-hmm. See you all later. Hop in my car with my fam, and good luck with all that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
oh. read and her relation to Adelaide. I wanted to get your thoughts on how art is used in this film because Peel has a really interesting dance sequence at the end, which is like a, a really creepy dance fight mm-hmm. to, to the point where you don't think Adelaide might make it because she doesn't have the, the dancing skills that that red does because i guess red is a natural dancer but then at the same time there's that whole commentary on art whether it be dance or say cinema writing whatever the the creativity is what will help you overcome horrific incidences and also help free your mind and will help free society so what do you think of the dichotomy that art is in one hand a a wonderful thing but it could also kill you yeah i don't that's really interesting i haven't really thought about that yeah i mean it did kind of pull her out of her i guess trauma in in the up world upside world but it just you made me think of when she was performing they were both performing as little girls Mm -hmm. and then just like that whole the the mimicking and the i guess the imposter syndrome type thing like which who is who is better at it and so i guess the art is in the eye of the beholder (laughs) i guess yeah i hadn't really thought about that but and also who is controlling who in that moment if the people below if the shadows or the chuds whatever you want to call them are but if you have adelaide doing the dance above ground and red quote-unquote is is forced to mimic but it is in red's dancing that all the other shadows realize that there's something different Mm-hmm. That she is doing something that they have never seen, or at least doing it in a way that they're not used to seeing. And that helps her to inspire them to, to rise up. Right. Is it, are we controlled by our, our dark impulses, or is it our more sane side that controls us? Because it seems like you have to, in many ways, to untether, you have to kill one side of you. Yeah. And then our, we that quote unquote good, you know, up here. <laughs> I guess maybe like on the scale of things, sure, but it throws us for a loop. Now, I want to get your opinion on the jokes in this film because it's a Jordan Peele film. As we saw with Get Out, he peppered it with a lot of humor, and I think this one he he does as well. There's a particular Alexa joke for those who have smart home devices that I think is is wonderful and probably the most I laughed out in in this film. Mm-hmm. So I just want you to know how do you how did you find his blend of of horror and, and humor in this one? I okay, so I I watched the trailer I think a couple times, and I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna watch it again, and that was misleading because I thought it was going to be more of a straight horror and so I was actually a little annoyed (laughs) that it was funny (laughs) I mean I know it was Jordan Peele and there's going to be some funny bits I didn't expect it to be as funny once I got over my expectation of it being you know um more of a straight horror I I kind of I rolled I rolled with it I thought it was really it was quite hilarious but yeah I was initially it was like why is this so funny because it didn't reflect I mean I know I should know better because trailers never really reflect the film <laughs> you know like hereditary had a scene in the trailer that never came up in the movie so I should know better but I was kind of expecting it to be 
less comedic than Get Out. And it was actually, I felt more comedic. And I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, this is one where I think I watched the trailer once. And then I just was like, I'm going to see this movie anyway because it's Jordan Peele. I'm not watching anything else. So I expected, based on Get Out, that there would be a certain level of humor to it. But I didn't expect Winston Duke to be as funny as he was right and i don't know if it's because maybe the, i think the last thing i saw him in was the black panther mm-hmm. but even then he had some amusing moments but i just didn't expect the level of comedy from him and i didn't expect elizabeth moss to be so entertaining right in, in her role like there was a, there's a lot of funny moments and i think almost every character or at least of the main characters they all have a couple of scenes that make you chuckle like the daughter had some great lines and i I felt like the film does a good job of balancing both the humor and the horror and you know i really enjoyed seeing um tim heidecker in in the film because i used to watch um tim and eric show awesome job you know that uh adult swim show he was on yes i i haven't seen that show so i think i'm trying to remember where i've seen him before but i do remember hearing of that particular one you're talking about oh it was so just ridiculous like john c Riley played a character called dr steve brule and so ridiculous like if i'm having a bad day i'll watch that and it'll make me cry and laughing so hard so they're like tim heidecker's a pretty he's pretty good at the the comedy there like i would say he's a bit of a genius a little weird like the comedy is weird but if you're into that sort of thing he's fantastic he he was also in that film kuzo i don't know if you saw that it was by flying lotus oh no i haven't seen that one yet yeah that's that's something that's a a film (laughs) i heard it's it's amazing that he was able to pull off that film and get it released but i've heard that film goes places and i don't think people are ready for it just it's gross but you know that also has some social commentary that's it's pretty it's pretty deep if you if you you know get past the grossness but tim heidecker was in that and his character was funny but absurd and i i thought that that's where Jordan Peele was going to go with this but it was it was you know um it was good that he didn't do the that much absurdity there because you kind of have to dig for it and I know a lot of people at least for some of the negative stuff that I've read they they find that the humor takes away from moments that could have amped up the the blood and gore mm-hmm. and you know i've been talking to just a couple of people a couple of co-workers about this film and a lot of them were like oh i don't know that trailer looks really scary and i kept saying well if you've seen get out you should be able to handle this one yes yeah. it's, it's creepier there wasn't like a truly blood moment in this film that kind of stuck with me a lot of the setups to some of the deaths did mm-hmm. and how people appeared in certain places or the sequence when the daughter is trying to outrun her her shadow mm-hmm. and the shadow's kind of smirking and they just disappear under the car before you even like moments like that kind of stuck with me more than people actually getting killed yeah well actually and funny you mentioned that shahidi right joseph she was amazing as her double she was so creepy oh my god <laughs> yeah the entire cast is, is phenomenal in terms of their performances like i i know lupita's getting a lot of the 
the credit, and I, I and she's the standout for me. But you're right. Every, I thought every actor did a really good job of making their their shadow unique in their own way. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it, speaking of Zora too, you know when she was um beating the the twins. Um, yes. So you know that really brought up for me when I was a kid. I was not popular. There's a lot of like girls, like you know the perfect girls, the perfect white girls in school, and they got all the attention, whatever. I noticed the um the the upside twins, they weren't really treating Zora that well. So I could see her rage beating the crap out of these double twins <laughs> because she's like taking out, you know, that anger of not being accepted. And I really felt that. I felt that because I, I, this movie spoke to me on a, a quite a few levels and, and not being accepted and, and, you know, trying to move between worlds and and there's so much to this film i feel like people will be writing about it forever so yeah, yeah and, it, and it's interesting because for a film that peel has said is just a straight horror film it's not a film about race in any way like how get out was you know a horror film but also uh, a commentary on race in america depending on who you are and your background and your experiences it kind of still is a film about race oh it is and you know for people like you and me we will watch it and it's like yeah it's a great horror film but there's a lot of moments in there you're like i understand that and exactly that same story that you told us like yep half of us have been there and experienced that <laughs> yeah you know the other the other half are essentially the twins yeah persecuted or or teased or whatever based on their sexuality identity whatever there are certain things in us that you kind of sit back and just nod your head you're like yeah i i understand why this works on several levels yeah that i think some people are dismissing yeah so i thought this was kind of cool too where you know there's a, a flip of the script with adelaide and red there's also that he he made a black family the center of this film instead of making them peripheral you know as mm. as most films will they're the center and it's not just because it's jordan peele i i feel that he's i think he just thought it was time to make a black family central in a film and to not have it you know have them have any visibly major issues <laughs> i mean there's a major issue there but it's not what you would expect and it just to make everybody dark skin. And I saw this interview, I think it was a shadow and active interview. I saw a clip where, you know, the interviewer was saying wasn't like three different colors of people in the family, which is, you know, happens. I mean, my own family, yep. we're all different hues, but, you know, to have an all dark skin family and have Lapita as the lead, like that's huge, you know, it's huge. When I was watching it, it felt like he was answering some of the criticism that he got for Get Out in terms of the the roles for, for black women, mm -hmm, especially right. in, in horror. And there was something empowering or just really satisfying seeing Adelaide going down that escalator and getting ready to, to stir it up to get her kid back. Yeah. And you're just like, yes, this is great. Of course, then you realize what's really going on. I was like, I don't know if I should have been cheering for her in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still kind of cool that you have a black female in such complex roles but I do like your point there about them just being a regular family because even though the the Wilsons don't have as much as the Tyler they're still doing well. It's good to see a black family bringing their child to a therapist because usually you would think oh 
they'll just tell you to pray about it or, you know, like they actually are doing something um, that is considered, I guess, more white. I don't know if you could say that, but it's starting to change. But I know exactly what you mean. The, the idea of especially in black families, a lot of times going to a therapist to quote unquote air your dirty business is usually frowned upon. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with generations you know, the older generations believe in that everything needs to be kept in-house for better or worse. It's also had to do with economics. Yeah. For for many years, black families in, in North America couldn't afford to to go to, to therapy or as easily or as frequently as um, a lot of the white families. And also just the options for, for therapy mm-hmm. has evolved over the years. Now with, with technology, you you're a lot it's a lot easier to connect with therapists. But that is a that is something that I hadn't really thought about when I was watching, but it makes it does make perfect sense because yes, that to a lot of people is just like oh whatever it's, a, it's just a scene where they're they're going to the therapist but for a lot of people it's like oh that's that's something different that we don't normally see yeah trust me as a kid i needed one big time <laughs> but you know my parents <laughs> like it just wasn't the way they just wouldn't do it you know like i had to pray or go to church or so i mean i don't fault them for that that's just the way it was but you know i think everybody needs a, a therapist assigned to them when they're born <laughs> But I digress. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no, it's good, though, because it's, it's into one last thing I want to talk about. And I don't know how we quite bridge it, but there as a child, and heck, even as an adult, the older generation is, is still telling us, ah, you just need to go to church. Once you go to church, everything will be better. And in the case of Red, she finds God more in terms of discovering that she has power, which she didn't think she had before. I found the, the way how religion is used in this film is quite interesting because if often in religion it's well our lives are mapped out for us right god already knows what the plan is we just have to stay the course and believe believe and in this case you see the girl taking matters into her own hand and controlling it but claiming it's a sign from god yeah i thought it was really i don't know if he was doing it on purpose to kind of mislead you or that was it the jeremiah 11 11 about yeah you've got no you've got no chance now basically i can't remember it exactly yeah, yeah, no, Jeremiah eleven, eleven, and so that I think was a, a huge clue. But also, I felt I felt like it was a little bit misleading. I think maybe, and I don't know if so that um, homeless person had a double underneath there too. So I'm wondering if she saw that living in the underside and then took that to heart. Maybe I don't know if she somehow had access to a Bible, but maybe she took that to heart and felt that she was a messenger for god when she went up to the upside yeah but it, it's it's weird because the excerpt from from that passage isn't really one of i would say hope it's more one of destruction yeah it says uh, therefore thus saith the lord behold i will bring evil upon them which they shall not be able to escape and though they shall cry unto me i will not hearken unto them to think that that is the the passage that you know is <laughs> inspiring it it's a warning to the surface dwellers and it's a, and it's a sign of empowerment to to the underworld it's, yeah. it's, it's quite chilling it is and i feel like maybe red feels that she's kind of the messenger for that i don't know i yeah i don't know the 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 religion thing was is very it's a little bit confusing i find but um I enjoy it because <laughs> I was raised Catholic. So I, I find all this, like I, when religion's in, uh, thrown into horror, I always find it fascinating. So yeah, 
I, it's, it just makes me think that, I mean, we're all in for it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny because I, I was raised Anglican even though my, my wife is Catholic, and I'm the same way. Whenever they throw religion into any type of film, I'm always kind of interested to see how it is interpreted if you experience so much pain and horror your view of faith probably changes mm -hmm. like for some people your faith becomes stronger and then other people they may become atheists or they may see the darker side of faith in terms of justifying their actions yeah i feel like it's the crusade of the of the, the tethered <laughs> you know many a war has been fought for god so maybe this is just another one. <laughs> oh my god this movie is something else it's, yeah, it's it's one that I'm I'm looking forward to revisiting. Yeah, it's fabulous, and all the questions he raises, and he's just sitting back and watching the debates. That's what I think I like the most is that he's just he knows what he did. <laughs> Carolyn, it's been a pleasure having you on. Where can folks find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at vfdpixie because I just changed that at viewfromthedark.ca. And also, Bits is doing their last leg of their tour this week. So I think the 27th to the 29th, they'll be in Ottawa and Kingston. So if you want to see some Canadian horror, you can head out that way if you're, you know, living in that area. And oh, yeah, I'm doing like, like an intro to a Girl with All the Gifts playing this Thursday, the 28th at Eyesore Cinema if you're around. So, yeah. Excellent. And that's also a really great film. We might have to discuss this on Ooh. on the show at one point because I, I quite enjoyed that film. So good, yeah. <laughs> Listeners, you can reach me at our Twitter account at Changing Reels AC, or if you want to contact me directly, I'm at Small Mind on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please go rate and review the show on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you're listening to us. And remember, you can change the conversation about diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time.